It's Tuesday on Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day. Bunch of Viking stuff coming up here in a little while. Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune joins me. We break down the film every single week, whether it's good or bad. It hasn't been great this year for the Vikings, but uh, they did get a win 19-13 to on Sunday against the Bears. They will try again Monday night against the 49ers, trying to get the offense going. That's the big thing that Andrew and I will talk about. Why is the offense stuck in the mud right now? We can use Justin Jefferson's injury as a partial recent explanation, but it doesn't explain a lot of the other things that have gone wrong for them. The running game is no good right now. Um, Kirk Cousins has not been overly productive. TJ Hawkinson is dropping passes. It just doesn't seem like they have any sort of rhythm or continuity right now, now that they have at least partially solved their their bad turnover problems. So Andrew and I will get into that, and we'll talk more Vikings after that with the uh, Vikings weekly poetry section that everybody um, has come to know and love. Get to some Aaron Rodgers stuff at the end. My goodness, this guy will not go away, even though he's injured this season. The latest, uh, just I, I couldn't even. I, I just, I can't with the fawning praise of him standing on the sideline, throwing the football during the Jets' most recent game. His presence is special. Just come on. I'll tell you what I'm talking about at the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? Let's talk wild for a minute because I'm worried about this team already and worried about a team two games into a season, especially when the first game was a shutout. That's not a comfortable position, but two things happened in their 7-4 to game against Toronto, their 7-4 loss over the weekend that really raised the alarm bells for me. Number one, Matt Boldy was injured. Second best forward, perhaps their second best player on the team this year. Certainly one of their top three or four players injured. He is week to week. You don't like to see the week to week designation on a player. Better, I suppose, than you know out for a, a really long amount of time. But week to week implies that he's going to miss at least a handful of games in the early going here, and that's that's a double that's a double problem. Number one, it takes one of your best you know, best forwards out of the lineup, one of your most productive players out of the lineup at a time where, you know, you want to get off to a good start this season. Two, though, it exposes their cap situation. They have barely any money underneath the salary cap. They have, like, effective cap space right now. They have, like, $50,000 um, out of, like, $85 million. It's just, it's kind of absurd how close up against the cap they are. And a lot of NHL teams do this, but a lot of NHL teams who are in the same position as the Wild have someone who's on long-term injured reserve. The Wild do not have anybody on long-term injured reserve. They essentially have no cap space right now, so they can't call up players they would necessarily want to replace Boldy because they're too expensive. The player they did call up, Dakota Mermis, um, isn't necessarily someone who's going to help offset the Boldy injury because he's a defenseman. They're probably going to have to skate 11 forwards and 7 defensemen tonight against Montreal. And so we're talking about game 3 of the season and they're already into this mode where they can't make the call-up they want. They're hard-pressed against the cap 
and they're not going to have even a full complement of forwards because they're already carrying the minimum number of players on their active roster because, again, they're so tight up against the salary cap. So that's a, that's going to be an ongoing problem this year, especially because Boldy and Jared Spurgeon are both on this week-to-week designation. And, oh, by the way, uh, Boldy makes $7 million this year. Spurgeon makes over $7 million. The buyouts for Parisi and Suter are each over $7 million. Essentially, one-third of your salary cap right now is tied up in either injured players or bought-out players. That is a tough way to go, and it was going to be tough no matter what, even before these injuries because of those buyouts. It is even tougher now. Now, the second piece of this, kind of going back to the Spurgeon injury, going back to the salary cap, going back to everything they've got going on right now, is the defensive pairings are a mess right now. They got exposed in that seven-goal game. Uh, by by Toronto, they've already scuttled their defensive pairs, already shuttling things around. Um, kind of hard for me to believe they're doing this already, but they are. Um, they decided that instead of uh, instead of the uh, the Brock Faber Jonas Brodeen pairing, those guys are too good. They're basically the two defensemen they trust right now, so they're going to try new pairings. Jake Middleton is going to play with Brock Faber, while Brodeen is going to play with Kalen Addison, which I suppose leaves John Merrill and Alex Goligoski as a pairing, I would imagine, unless Mermis is going to slide into the lineup in one of those kind of third defensive pairing slots. I don't even know what their best defensive pairing is right now. Probably Middleton and Faber, maybe Brodeen and Addison, but splitting up you know, splitting up Faber and Brodeen. And by the way, Faber, he's been excellent this year, but he's, you know, just a handful of games into his entire career right now so you're already putting so much on his plate you're basically admitting that you don't have more than two defensemen that you trust right now until you get bro until you get Spurgeon back that's a problem too because that's you're going to run into some teams with firepower it might not be Montreal tonight Montreal's not a great team but you're going to run into a lot of teams with a lot of firepower that are going to expose you even when Spurgeon is back you're going to be looking at some, you know, some issues with that, at least with that third defensive pair. They probably were a little bit last year, got away with it a little bit by playing, playing guys in heavier minutes, playing them, play them in lighter minutes and spots. But until Spurgeon is back and until Boldy is back, this is going to be a real struggle from both a talent standpoint and a cap standpoint. And if you're counting on not having any more injuries the rest of the year, good luck, because there's always something that happens. So you don't want it to happen. I'm just saying something will happen. So I'm worried about this team. I'm worried about uh, I'm worried about the defense. I'm worried about how this cap is going to impact them all season and their ability to call up even just a even just a forward like Sammy Walker, even just to call up somebody like that. They don't have that flexibility right now. So that's a problem. And uh I don't know. I'm sure they've made the calculations. I'm sure they've they've decided that this is the, the this maximizes their chance to win, get as many players in as possible, fit it tight into the cap as possible. This is the inevitability of it, though. This is probably the thing that they knew could happen but didn't want to happen, and it is happening right now. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. Let's review the film with Andrew Kramer, um, Vikings writer for the Star Tribune. Andrew, before we started recording, I was 
joking but not joking that the film almost looks worse when the Vikings win than when they've lost this year because their two wins have been so uninspiring, at least from an offensive standpoint. What What's going on with this offense? I know they didn't have Jefferson, obviously, Sunday, but for the other five games this year, most of them at least, they, they had him. And it just the, nothing's going right here, it seems like. They barely got over 200 yards of offense against a bad Bears defense. Yeah, it, it was horrific. And as much as, you know, you can try to stretch out, you know, Jefferson wasn't there, all the excuses and all that. The Chicago Bears team was allowing 56, 57% conversion on third down entering the game. They were one of the worst third down defenses in football. And Kevin O'Connell spoke today on Monday, and he put a lot of the Vikings inefficiency, two for 13, in those spots on the fact that they were, uh, he said they were in third and 10 plus like six or seven times. Like they were just consistently behind the chains. Uh, and it's very hard to win that way without obviously your best player in Justin Jefferson. So it, it came down to what they did on first and second down to put them in those spots. They can't run the ball. They didn't have a reliable enough uh, quick passing game. Um, and they were just inefficient, more drops, wasted opportunities. Jordan Addison drop, uh, Madison dropping another screen, uh, Hawkinson dropping passes. He should have caught again. Um, guys missing blocks in the running game, Ezra Cleveland, not playing uh, well before that foot injury that knocked him out and led to Dalton Reisner coming in. Um, there was just a lot going on and, and especially with the running game, it's one of the worst in football They're them and the Steelers are the only two teams without a rushing touchdown through six weeks. And Kevin O'Connell got to the point where you really got to parse through his words because he talks almost like a politician sometimes in terms at the podium. But he mentioned on Monday at one point, he said, we have other tools to be more efficient. And I'll read his direct quote. He said, where maybe it's not the run game. It could be the rhythm and timing of the quick passing game or the no huddle or different personnel groupings. Um, This is a coach who's already calling the most passing plays in football. And he's saying, you know what? Maybe we just shouldn't run the ball anymore. (laughs) Wasn't the whole point of this year to be more efficient in the run game, though? That was the whole reason that they said, thanks to Alvin Cook, but no thanks. We're going to go with Madison. Um, It's, you know, maybe they're getting five or six yards more reliably at points, but they, they didn't have a carry for over eight yards on Sunday, and you were saying that's that's the norm this year, right? That they're not popping anything explosive in the run game. Yeah, we knew they were going to struggle to get 80-yard, you know, 70, 60-yard touchdowns, but they're not even getting 20-yarders or 10-yarders. They're not getting uh, moving the chains, rushing first downs most of these times. Uh, it's just it's really hard for them to move the pile. And without Jefferson, what we saw um is we saw the bears drop into single high safety they put a safety down in the box they started crowding the line of scrimmage this was a vikings offense that couldn't open rushing lanes when the line wasn't crowded right and now jefferson's not there which means the defense is saying great we can play with only one safety back there because there's not going to be a guy we have to double team down the field and now the vikings have to deal with another corner another safety whoever it may be jumping into the mix so it's getting harder for them to try to film the football without justin and to your point yeah the vikings have not had a 10 yard rush on offense just a single run for at least 10 yards in four of their six games that's amazing um, they, like that they that's, only that's hard ate too they only ate they only produced uh, when it was against the Chargers and the Panthers. Outside of that, they have not been able to run the football. 
So they've had a lot of shortcomings on offense this season. You said no rushing touchdowns, very few explosive plays. They've had some red zone problems, some you know third down inefficiencies, especially this last week. Who do they miss more? Dalvin Cook or Adam Thielen right now? <laughs> oh, that's that's kind of a good question. Not because not because they're missing either of them, I think. And, and look, I, I like Dalvin. I think he was really good when he was in his prime, but you're seeing now in New York, he's 28. And behind a bad offensive line with the Jets, he's not good. He has not been good. And a guy coming off an ACL, an 85% Brees Hall has taken over that workload. And, and I think Adam Thielen, for as good as he's doing in Carolina, I don't know if the Vikings need another underneath possession target. They can use Hawkinson better in those spots. They can use Addison better in those spots. And you're hearing O'Connell talk about that as recently as today on Monday when when he's saying we can lean more on our quick passing game to utilize that as an efficient running game like it's John Day Filippo in 2018. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I think I think those are the things that that when, when you look at this offense, um, they're going to have to find those ways to be more efficient. And without Thielen, I mean, I don't think he changes much here, moves the needle. And I think Cook is maybe he's more comfortable in this offense than Madison seems to be. Madison seems like he's just not great at setting up the track and the rushing lanes, running into his blockers and obviously running into defenders when they make it through the line as often as they have. But I think the difference would be marginal because we've seen We've seen Dalvin kind of fall off here, and, and I do think that was a good move by the front office. Pro Football Focus says the Vikings have, at least coming into this game, said the Vikings have the best run blocking in the entire NFL. Best run blocking grade. Their pass blocking grade was like number three. I think maybe that's updated through through this week. So I think it was number one and number two a week ago. Now it's one and three. Um, how far from the reality you have constructed is that and and how far is that from their own internal evaluation of how the offensive line is playing this year uh, yeah it's not like I'm, I'm in the meetings with chris cooper the offensive line coach and all them i i don't know their direct you know grade for grade sure um but i do know that they would probably not say we have the best run blocking line in football i don't think you could find anybody but- other than the people at pro football focus to say that and frankly, I wonder if they would even dispute it because it's got to be a numbers error. How do, how are they ranked? Because you showed me this before we recorded yeah. and I was floored. It was the Vikings at number one in terms of run blocking grade collectively as an offensive yes. line right above the Eagles and the Niners. Yes, yes. The yes. two best rushing teams in football. And the, and the Vikings were graded like significantly higher. Like they were a touch over 80. I don't think anybody else was over 75. I, I, Everybody was just listening to what we just had to say about what they've done on the ground. And then to have that number conflict with all the other numbers, which again, the numbers we said before were all facts. This is a subjective grading system by PFF. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. I I use their numbers, their analytics all the time. They do a lot of great work in terms of giving us the pieces of the pie to figure out what is working, what isn't. Um, That grading system, I, I... I, you got to hold that up as a reason that it, um, that you got to question just the subjective grades over the raw numbers. So given given kind of everything we've seen so far, knowing that there's no Justin Jefferson for at least three more games, like what's what's the path forward here? Because it's not like the offense has been great all year, but earlier in the year, at least it felt like it was mostly the turnovers that were holding them back. They had 
like the third, the third biggest, like the third best, like point or not points per play, but third best yards per play at a certain point this year. And that seems like it's just dropping from week to week. Like it doesn't even feel like this is a good offense minus the turnovers anymore. So what do they do even, you know, with or without Jefferson to kind of get back on track? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. We didn't see a lot of Cam Akers. Cam Akers' role yeah. actually diminished on Sunday. He, he only had one playing, carry, right? Yeah, he went from playing 29% uh, percent of the snaps the first two games, at least seven touches in each of those games, to, yeah, one, I think it was one carry, um, 18% of the work. Uh, he just didn't play much at all. And, and I'm not sure if that was them viewing Madison as the better pass protector against an aggressive Bears defense. And then Madison obviously gives up a pressure that leads to the interception. Um, but Madison generally is a good pass blocker. And I don't know how they view Cam on that front. We haven't seen him a lot in that. But I think Cam has looked better in the screen game, the passing game, the running game. I think in the little tiny sample size we've seen, um, it, it was interesting. O'Connell had mentioned that you know, I read that quote about some of the new guys need to trust what we're doing. I wonder if the little bit was was about Acres, a guy who had just saw less playing time on Sunday. If they can figure that out with him, they need some new blood in there. They need some new legs, some fresh legs to give them some production underneath. Um, and that's not going to be a 33-year-old Adam Thielen, but it could be a 24, 25-year-old Cam Akers who uh, has not done a whole lot this season, and his legs should be pretty fresh. So when you say path forward, I think they need to change some personnel usage a little bit. I think they need to try to f- try whatever works, find something that works to produce in the ground game or the short passing game. And then, yeah, lean on that short passing game even more. Don't call 18 runs, uh, even though you're leading the game, uh, if you're only going to rush for 44 yards in Chicago the way that they did. Um, and I think O'Connell realized that, you know, I, I don't think any of us are going to sit there and second guess them not running the football now when we've seen them kind of run into a brick wall over and over again. Uh, it's just going to be a matter of can they change enough to try to get different results instead of doing the same things over and over. And Akers did have, I think his only rush was for eight yards. He tied for the longest run of the day in just <laughs> his this- one, in just his one carry. Um, I've been uh, not like, severely disappointed but I've been underwhelmed by Hawkinson this year it just it feels like he's he's had you know some drops issues and just you know him he and Cousins talking about not being on the same page the week before um, against against Kansas City and obviously the the play that that ended up the interception against the Chargers that you know if he kept if he comes out of that ball it's probably a game-winning touchdown like what what's going what do you think is going on there is it just mistakes in magnified situations is it um lingering impact of the ear infection from the uh, from the from the preseason like what's what's going on with Hawkinson right now or am I am I wrong to think that to, that we should be underwhelmed by him so far no he's not playing well uh, I think you're right and I, I think a lot of people you can obviously see that and think of the big big plays think of the um strip the fumble against the buccaneers you mentioned the chargers uh, tip into an interception. Think of um, just the the Chiefs game and yesterday the drop passes, the the near connections where you say ah it's, the pass is a little high, but he got both hands on it. Well, you're making fourteen fifteen yeah. million a year. That's what you're paid to do. And I think the Vikings can do more to 
try to get him going on on easier targets. Um, I do think that they can find ways because there have been just hair misses in the screen game over time. And when one of those or two of those gets blown up, like what happened a few weeks ago with Hawkinson, they're going to go away from it as they had. But when he gets a full head of steam and gets rolling, this guy's really hard to bring down. His physical attributes, his size, and the speed for that size is why he was a top 10 draft pick. And you're not seeing that right now because he keeps dropping the ball. And so if they can just get yeah. it into his hands and get him running, that is where you're going to see why they traded him, why they paid or traded for him, why they paid him. Um, and then if he can start catching some of those passes down the seam, it's all going to start coming together. But frankly, he's just not playing well. And, and he's never been a road grading blocker. That's why they pay Josh Oliver to come right. in here and do it. So if he's not catching passes and not producing in the passing game, this guy is not much uh, better than your next tight end. Is Cousins frustrated yet at this point? He, you know, this is year two in the same system. Finally, this was supposed to be kind of the, the opportunity to showcase all this talent. His, his raw numbers aren't bad, but I gotta, I gotta imagine he's kind of, he's kind of asking the same questions we are like, how do we get this going? Yeah, I think back to, I'm trying to remember which game it was, but the moment where he's yelling at Chris O'Hara, like, I don't have time. I think it might have been the KJ throw where it was like right yep. behind KJ yep. and it got stripped out of KJ's hands. I can't remember which game that was, the Chargers maybe? No, that was or the, Bucks. yeah, that was the first game of the year, right? Yeah. Yeah, so either way, like, he's he's shown those moments on the sideline, like the emotion, the frustration anybody feels throughout the course of games, but specifically with the Vikings. The thing that's been a thorn in his side constantly is the offensive line. It's the protection. And Cousins called this skill group, including Jefferson, who they don't have right now, but he called this skill group the best I've ever had. And they're not playing like it. Um, and certainly Jefferson, who had a drop before he got injured, wasn't playing like it at moments either. Um, but th they were not collectively, they're not playing well, um, in terms of his targets on top of the O line that he's already been frustrated with. So hey, that's the third best offensive line in pro football focus. <laughs> I'll have, you know, third best pass blocking. I do think, yeah, if you got him in an honest moment, he would probably admit that he's very frustrated. He's going to say all the right things though, publicly not blame anybody. Um, but he will in moments say that, yeah, some of those passes to Hawkinson, yeah, they were catchable, you know, and then right. you can read through read through the lines there and see like, yeah, obviously he's frustrated. And look, Kirk has had moments where he's not playing well either. He right. should not um, be free of blame, especially going back to the Chiefs loss where he could have given them better chances to win that game. Uh, I did find it interesting that Kevin O'Connell went to bat for Kirk after this win in Chicago to say that Kirk played really well and that it should have been a bigger day for him if not for what happened around him. So I find that interesting because I do think people are going to start piling on Kirk yeah. uh, for being two and four and as, as the losses mount and not winning games uh, and cousins or excuse me, O'Connell is clearly trying to put that out there that, hey, it's it's not just him on this offense. Final thing, maybe let's shift to the defense for a little bit of better news, especially, you know, compared to the offense. If we're going to, you know, assign the the glorious, I assign the real reason for both of these wins, it's been the defense, right? I mean, they've given up 13 points in both of these two wins and scored a defensive touchdown in both of their wins. And by the way, the other two wins this year against the two worst teams probably in football, or at least in the NFC combined one win between the bears and uh, the Panthers, but they did it against those teams against younger quarterbacks that they were able to take out of the game. And, you know, in Justin Fields case, literally took him out of the game and, and uh, had, had Tyson Bajant, uh finish the game. That was quite, 
quite the surprise. By the way, if you follow the bouncing ball, uh, PJ Walker was cut by the Bears in the preseason so they could elevate Bajent to number two. Walker signs on with the Browns and ends up beating the 49ers. So the Vikings beat the guy that couldn't beat out or that, that beat out the guy that just beat the 49ers. I think the Vikings beat the 49ers this week. <laughs> so you're saying by the, the, um, you know, Tran- transitive property. Thank you. That's the phrase. I was like, well, the transitive property, you're saying that the Vikings yeah. are clearly going to win, put all your money. Don't yes. actually yes. on the 49 or on the Vikings to beat the 49ers. Um, yeah. I, what was the question? I'm sorry. Joking aside, the defense was, <laughs> yeah, the, yep. was the factor again in, in a win. And, you know, the offense hasn't won them a game yet this year, but the defense has. Absolutely. And and the defense has played good in spurts. Um, you've seen really um, better, more talented offenses uh, really slam them, whether it's Herbert, whether it's Hertz. Um, but you can see when Brian Flores plays either a lesser coordinator or a lesser quarterback, you can see how he can kind of put the clamps on him and, and it really make... Baker Mayfield struggle, even though he made plays to win that game uh, for Tampa Bay, uh, make obviously Bryce Young and Justin Fields and, and Tyson Bajan also struggle. And yeah, defensive touchdowns in each of those two games, Ben brought up, ben, our colleague Ben Gessling brought up an interesting question after this game in saying that, do you think they would have won if it were Ed Donatel's defense? In that game. And I think the aggressive style forcing, I know they got a lot of takeaways last year, but they were often passive. Uh, This is more of an aggressive forcing fumbles, strip sacks, that kind of thing. And I do think that is going to change games where this Vikings offense is not playing winning football. Yeah, I think so too. And we'll see if We'll see if the offense can catch up to the defense. I never would have thought we would be saying that because so much more is in, <laughs> so much more is invested in the offense. That's where they've been. That's where they've been spending a lot of their draft picks. That's where they've been spending a lot of their money. But the defense, at least in the two wins, has been the side of the ball that was that whose time it was to shine. To bring it back to Ed Donatella one more time. Yeah, and, and I, while I do think it'll be an interesting matchup with Brock Purdy and the Niners, who are beaten up with McCaffrey and and Debo hurt. Uh, I wouldn't call Kyle Shanahan a lesser coordinator. No, I think that, no. I think Shanahan versus Flores is going to be very fun to watch. Yes. Well, hopefully it'll be more fun to watch in that Vikings-Bears game because that was not <laughs> fun to watch, especially probably if you had to be there. It must have been even worse. It was not great. We, we At some point in the fourth quarter, we were banding about the fact that Tyson Bajan had lost the D2 semifinal, NCAA semifinals to the Colorado School of Mines, yes. which is a real thing that happened last December. Yes. And we were all wondering, are the Vikings about to lose to Tyson Bajan? I was, it, was, <laughs> it would have been an all-timer. They pulled it out, though. They pulled out the win. And uh, not, even that was fraught, though, because Byron Murphy fumbles the game-winning interception and that would have been an automatic first down if it would have gone back to the Bears, but there you go. There you go. Yeah, there you have it. The 2-4 and four team, right? The first 1-0 <laughs> in the division never felt better. They're definitely not the worst team in the NFC North. Maybe that's all we know for sure at this point. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Andrew. I still can't believe they're that high in the pro football focus, um, pass blocking and run blocking rankings, and it's the same with ESPN. It's quite the uh, quite the thing to see. I don't think the eye test bears that out. I don't think the line has necessarily been as bad as it has been in some past years. But to say they're number one in anything and number three in the other thing, that is something that is really something to me. Now, I will say this, though, um, in a lot of the advanced metrics, a lot of the advanced stats you look at, like DVOA, 
they're better than they were last year, even though they're two and four. They're they're like middle of the pack for the league in DVOA. There are advanced stats that suggest this is at least a middle of the pack team and not a bad team. And last year they were worse than this in a lot of these defensive defensive and offensive advanced metrics. So pay attention to that. Maybe they aren't as bad as they seem. The turnovers have told a big part of the story. Some inefficiencies have told a big part of the story. Uh, Marcus Davenport sounds like he's going to miss four to six weeks with an ankle injury. That's going to hurt. Um, so we'll see if you know some of these gains they've made on defense will be sustainable if Davenport is going to be out again. Another signing uh, that maybe isn't going to go their way. A lot of those, a lot of draft picks, a lot of signings that haven't gone their way. Um, but the big, I guess the bigger takeaway is maybe, just maybe, this is a team that's got a little bit of potential going forward this season. It is poetry time on Daily Delivery, whether you like it or not, whether that game deserved it or not, Keith Rashad. Um, 19, I, open, 13. I open my soul every week. You do? I open my soul every week with poetry, and that game just spit on my soul. It did. It, 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 you know, I'm surprised that you even have three vikus, haikus, vikus, however you want to describe it. I'm surprised you were even able to muster the collective um you know wisdom and you know inspiration to to come up with three poems from that game but i would love to hear well, the first you, one. Oh, well, you, first, shouldn't, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be too surprising as i almost forgot this that we were doing this segment <laughs> we have a little we, we were recording at a different time today we had to we had to kind of maneuver things but we're we're making it happen you didn't you didn't forget so much as you just kind of temporarily didn't do it Yep, exactly. All right, number one. Yeah. The dream is morbid. This needed to be the year. They're not bad enough. No. I I think I wrote a post about that like two weeks ago. They're not we know they're not good enough, but they're not are they bad enough? And like Are you calling me a plagiarist? You no, know, I'm just saying I had it first. Um I'm just saying that I think you're right, is what I'm mostly saying, in that, you know, you look at their schedule, like even next week, you know. San Francisco is like one of the best teams in the league, but if we don't know the status of McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, like that makes that game at least reachable. Still probably a likely loss, but then you get beyond that. And like every game after that for like the next six or seven weeks is like winnable. So they're going to stumble their way into at least three or four more wins if they can do what they did against Chicago. And yeah, they're probably going to be picking, you know, there's still a chance they can make the playoffs even, but they're probably going to be picking somewhere like, 10th to 13th not top five 13th was the number that was in my head but yeah yeah they are not they're not what they need to be right this should be a decisive year last we probably mentioned this at some point we i know you and i mentioned this i don't know if on the podcast or not but winning 13 games last year was kind of the worst thing that could have happened to them right because they it produced the belief that they could somehow reproduce this and they had the right. parts and blah, blah, blah. And this team has been teetering on the brink and was much more like what it looked like in Zimmer's last year than it was yes. than it was in this previous season. So yes. you know, we're in a, a fish or cut bait type of situation, it would seem like, but uh, apparently we were just still sitting on the dock yeah. with, our, with our reed in our hand. Reeling it in, reeling it in, bringing that sweet nineteen to thirteen win over 
Tyson Bagent and the Chicago Bears. Uh, that would have been an all-timer, by the way, if they'd have lost to that particular backup quarterback. But uh, I digress. He uh, he is someday he will make an absolutely excellent immaculate grid answer. That's true. That's true. And you know you got to forgive the Vikings. I mean, the last time Tyson Bagent played meaningful football. He did lose to the Colorado School of Mines, so it's a uh, you know it's it's a tough one for the Vikings to have to overcome that. Oh man! Okay, go on. Number two, life is sore. Another pass to T Hawk is short of the sticks. Yeah, short of the sticks or dropped. I mean, and Andrew Kramer and I talked about that on this show as well. Like he's just been really overwhelm really underwhelming this year. Maybe not as underwhelming as some of the people in our group text would have you believe, but he's been not good this year. Well, and I f- you could correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, you're the one who maybe sometimes goes back and rewatches these games. I will never watch that game ever again. It no. will have nothing to do Nobody with that should. game ever again. It Burn just, it. Uh, but I feel like there were at least three instances in which Kirk Cousins dumped off the ball to Hawkinson uh, on a third and whatever, and he was anywhere from five to ten yards short of what he needed to be. Right. And so it was just these constant flashbacks to the playoff game last year. Right. We're just dumping it off to T Hawk, nice and short, and, and not making any progress, which was kind of a microcosm of both this game and this season. Right. That yes. you, get, you get these high priced players who are producing in a manner of speaking. Right. One is throwing the ball to someone who's catching it, and one is catching the ball for a certain number of yards, but it's not accomplishing anything. It's not doing what needs to be done. And this team is not doing what it needs to be done. It, it, it We had those catches, but you're exactly right. There's the drop balls, too. They should have had two more turnovers, right? They got lucky a couple of times with some of these turnovers. Uh, it, and it's sloppy, bad, not really good play, That, but they're still going to win seven games and pick 13th in the draft. I found one instance in the first half. This is probably the one that I remember to where it's third and 19 and they got a seven yard completion to TJ Hawkinson, just short of the sticks on that one. Um, near 12 yards. Here's another, near. here's another good one. Third and 14 from their own one, um, eight yard pass to Hawkinson setting up fourth and six from the nine. That one may be slightly more defensible because you're just trying to create room for your punter. Um, but yeah, not, uh, I see at least two. Do I, do I, was there a third one too? Let's see. Third and 12 from the bears 42. Now that one was to Addison. So yeah, there's at least, there's at least two of them that I, that, that I'm, that I'm finding here as I look back at this. Um, and he had more to more to some other guys too. So yeah, it's, there was a lot of, they were in third and long a lot in that game and, you know, check downs, a lot of check downs in those situations. And you're finding out that, Hey, Justin Jefferson kind of means a lot to that offense. It's, yeah, what a, what a shocker. What yeah. a real surprise that we're all dealing with here. Uh, Justin Jefferson, who was ranked by a number of places as the second best player in the league, somehow would have an impact on the game. Do you realize, though, Andrew and I talked about I mean, this? Seriously, is that is it truly that bad, though? The, the, this team is supposed to have some pieces. Yeah. Right. And did the offensive line play that? There were times when 
egged in, but that's going to happen, right? Did they play that bad? Uh, you have a first round draft pick, another first round draft pick as a wide receiver. You've got yeah. the highest paid tight end in the league, right? You brought in some more running back help, right? You made your decision at running back as well, too. You decided that you could get away with 80% of a, of a, a guy just because this is the position that he's playing, right? Instead of Dalvin Cook, who, it, you know, is, I don't know, I guess he's not having that great of a year either, but no. he still had some explosiveness that you are clearly missing with who you have now. And so, yeah, obviously his loss is going to drastically impact the, this team, but we keep getting told that they have talent, right? That yeah. this is the most talented side of the ball and to watch them continue to flounder and continue to throw five yard passes on third and 12 or third and nine or whatever the case might be. It's just uh, something's not going right here. No. They, Andrew and I talked about this in four out of their six games this year. Wait, including... wait, 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 You're talking people on this podcast about football? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Um, you four... two-timing I son know. of a. I know. It's uh, every week. Um, there's another segment on this show. I don't know if you ever listened to it. Um, they, um, four out of six games this year, they have failed to have a running back on an offensive play, gain at least 10 yards in a game, including <laughs> uh, their longest run on, in the Bears game was eight, eight yards. They're not just not getting explosive plays on in the running game, which did used to be a Dalvin Cook specialty. Well, yeah, and this is where I think, again, we've we've let the nerds have too much power, right? <laughs> and I'm not, I, I'm not an anti-analytics guy. I think that more Seems information... Like I kind of am in, in this respect. You know, more information is better and it makes sense, right? But then all of a sudden, it seems like we've gone a little too far with some of these narratives, right? And so this, this idea or belief that the running back doesn't matter, that they're interchangeable. Uh, well, when you have somebody who is a, a little bit better than than the others or somebody who's more explosive or who can do the things that Dalvin Cook at least used to be able to do, and perhaps still could. We saw flashes of it last year, right? That's still valuable. That's yes. still something that 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 seems to get discounted because all of a sudden we've got this narrative about running backs that envelops the totality of that class of people without really giving any due to the the fact that some folks are are just a little more special than others, a little more yeah. athletic, a little more capable, and so. Deciding that Madison can just replicate what Cook could do or enough of what Cook could do is one of those things that that seems data-driven in a way that uh, does not account for the disparity in talent level. Well, and I don't know if the argument even boils down to Cook versus Madison. I think the argument maybe boils down to they just flat out need more talent and more difference makers in the backfield. And I don't really know if either one of those guys was necessarily going to provide that this year based on what we've seen from Cook and Madison on their respective teams. But they have they clearly have a philosophy or it seems like they have a philosophy of this is what we need out of the running back position. We don't have to pay for it specifically with you know, either free agency or the draft. We're going to be fine, and they're not fine. They really aren't. Well, it's and it's the difference between having a system and recognizing talent. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Number three, please. All it takes to win. 
is a team without a plan. Next week should be fine. Yeah, next week's a problem still for the Vikings. Although, like I said, if if McCaffrey and or Debo Samuel can't play, there's at least some element of it because, you know, San Francisco did prove that they're at least somewhat vulnerable. They lost to the Browns, uh, who were playing their backup quarterback, who, by the way, um, their backup quarterback was the guy who got cut by the Bears so the Bears could keep um, the guy that they played against the Vikings on Sunday, the backup they played against on, on Sunday. So 49ers are not as dangerous without those guys, but they're still a better team than the Vikings. I, I will grant you that. But then after that, like I said, it's like the Packers, they're they're okay, but they don't necessarily scare you, and that's a game plan against a young quarterback that you could see um, you could see Brian Flores having some success. Then it's just a bunch of nobody teams for a long time. They're you're right. They're totally going to win at least like six or seven games. It's just going to be utterly frustrating. But which which franchise do you trust more? Do you trust Minnesota or do you trust San Francisco? Which which franchise has a, a longer track record now? Which head coach has demonstrated that he knows how to work with the talent that he has? Which which organization do you trust more? 49ers will probably win next week. I'm just saying it won't be won't be quite the cakewalk I thought it was if those guys are injured. If you think Vikings poetry is over the top, wait until you hear some of the things said about Aaron Rodgers merely for the fact that he was standing on the sideline throwing a football after hurting his Achilles, what, like six weeks ago, whenever it was. Um, this is head coach Robert Sala talking about Rodgers being on the sideline, having a headset on during their win over the Eagles that got them to 3-3. Three and three. He said his superpower is his presence. Oh, my gosh. Him being in the building, being around his teammates, being in the locker room, his positive attitude, his thoughts of manifestation and all of that stuff. I think it's powerful. God, maybe it is. I don't know. But, geez, can we not talk about this guy uh, so much? He's making his teammates uh, answer questions about him. Zach Wilson, yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, that dude's demeanor, the way he attacks everything, it's special. So I'm not surprised at all talking about Walker Rogers walking around without any kind of boot or crutches and throwing a football so soon after his Achilles surgery. Rodgers, of course, thinks he might be able to come back this season, even though it's a six- to nine-month injury. He thinks he can maybe come back in four months. I don't think that's anywhere near happening, but this guy, his ego um, won't let him think anything else. He's got to be around it still. Robert Sala continues as a coach, of course. I want him here every single day. Outside of scheme and playing ability, the intangibles that he brings to his teammate and the fuel I think his teammates will give to him is priceless. You just can't quantify it. You can't put a price on it. Well, actually, you can put a price on it. It's many millions of dollars for him to be sitting there essentially being a glorified cheerleader, a glorified um, you know, spiritual guide. I don't know, whatever you want to call him. Um, Sala finishes, I've never had an Achilles tear. Hopefully I never do. I don't want to ruin my golf game, but from my understanding, him walking around is crazy. Ah, geez, just, just go away. Just accept the fact that you're injured. Come back next year. I don't think you're, you know, would we be hearing these stories if they weren't on a, a modest two game winning streak with his presence? Oh, his presence is so special. I don't know. I don't know. It, it's fine. I'm happy for him. Good for him. But man, this is just... This is just one more example of how he can't get away 
Can't let himself get away from the spotlight. That's why he will never retire. He'll be dragged off the field just like Brett Favre. And that'll do it for today. Should have lots of gopher football talk on tomorrow's show. Randy Johnson got to pick his brain. ESPN thing I saw recently called Minnesota one of the most defense, one of the most disappointing teams in college football this season. I'll see if he agrees with that and more. Until then, I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.